Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. So today's guest is going to be our most experienced dungeon master yet. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, I, <laughs> my name is Carol Bell, uh, and I have been into Dungeons and Dragons since high school, which would be in the or late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know, I, I got into it kind of like a fluke because I didn't know it was actually a thing. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a long-winded story. Sure, you want me to go into we this? We have plenty of time um, about how got you got tricked into All playing right. Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> well, it's it's not so much. I just stumbled upon it on my own, actually. Okay. Um, since uh, like starting way way back, I was always into fantasy. Um, my my dad and my mom never were into D and D or anything like that. But growing up with so much interest in fantasy and science fiction. Uh, I was very, um, what, how should I say, uh, I'm an introvert yeah. for one nice. and it just developed further into high school. So one of my safe places to, when I just, dis- I actually discovered it in middle school, but the safe place to go to was the library. Yeah. So if I didn't want to deal with anyone, I'd go to the library. So, uh, and that habit continued into high school and eventually I started skipping classes, mm-hmm. you know, to go to the library. Because who could yell at a kid for skipping class to go to the library, I, I right? I mean, a librarian should. But... <laughs> I mean, it's the perfect excuse because yeah. the librarian was like, I understand. Yeah. It's, you're reading. You're actually doing something productive. I'm not going to bother you. That's fine. So uh, what I what I started doing is the sci-fi fantasy section in the school was pretty small. Yeah. It was just one one wall, basically one bookshelf worth. And I would just you know go along and 
pick something that I thought sounded interesting, and I came across Dragonlance. Okay. And it wasn't even the first books. It wasn't like the beginning trilogies or anything like that. It was like some like offshoot novel, some spinoff novel that some other writer did. But I read that thing, and I was like so into it because there were elves, there were things called Kender, there were dwarves. It was like this brand new story I'd never heard of before. I'm like 16. Yeah. You know, Lord of the Rings, it's so passe. Let's think of something new. And uh, then I find out that this book actually has a game associated to it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I can play one of these characters? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So I was looking all over. And at the time, the latest edition that had been released was Advanced, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. Uh, so just in my fervor, I was going through the aisles of a Borders. <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> I don't know when if you remember Borders. Yeah. Yeah, uh, are they still around? When they were still around. When they were still around. Really? Um, yeah, and I went through their fantasy section hoping to find one of these mythical rule books that I was told about. And I begged my mother for it, and she got it for me. And I got the handbook for the AD&D Second Ed uh, game. I was, I opened this thing up and I'm fascinated by the whole thing. Like, wow, these are rules. Look at, feel how heavy this book is. Look at the artwork. I have no idea how to play. Yeah. I don't know any, I have, have no concept at all. And I, I remember inviting a friend of mine over one day cause he said he DM'd for, for Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, can you teach me about this? Like, show me what this is about. And we kind of went over it and he started trying to explain Thacko and all that stuff. And I just didn't get it. I'm like, so I, I didn't understand where it came into the whole fun of acting and stuff like right. that. So, yeah. uh, it took a few more years. I kind of shelved the idea, but I was still fascinated by playing pretend. It was always something I loved to do anyway. Uh, and then finally, when I got my job at a mall, uh, I was working at a video game store and a friend of mine was working at a board game store who had D&D stuff. Ah. And over there, they were starting a game <laughs> in the store. And when I heard about that while I was on my shift at Electronics Boutique, I went nuts. I'm like, I got to find out what this is. I want to I want to join. And I, I walked right over there on my lunch break and I, I met the guy who was running it. And uh, he walked me through, you make this for your character. And I was, I was hooked. I was in. I'm like, I, I didn't even start yet. I'm like, this is so fascinating. He showed me a map that he drew, a character that he designed, that he drew as well. And I'm just like, all right, this is more what I was thinking yeah. what D&D was about. All right, this is like the creative part of it. And people are suddenly coming together who have no idea who each other are. Like a bunch of strangers just randomly signed up for this game in the middle of a mall at a place called Gamekeeper. And uh, it was run by one of the guys who happened to work there. Uh, I found out later that he suggested the idea of running games out of the store and the owner of the store just assumed that he meant he was going to be running the game. So he got roped into running a game he didn't intend uh -huh. to. Uh, <laughs> so he just threw something together and had 10 of us around a table and none of us really knew each other except me and a couple other people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and it was like downhill from there. We played actually only a few sessions of that i want to say like maybe three or four sessions not very much and that was second ed mm. ad and d second ed. yeah and second edition very hard to grasp yeah. oh it was crunchy. God. but 
But I mean, I just figured I would learn as I go along. I wasn't going to worry too much about what the rules meant. Like somebody was going to be next to me that could explain it. And I was, I was happy with that. Um, so it turns out that game fell through. And then the two other people that were playing with us, their names were Michelle and Phil. They invited us, uh, myself, uh, my sister, I think she dropped out early because she tried playing. Um, and then a friend of mine who was Tim, uh, and then the guy who was running the game, they offered all of us to go to their house on the weekends to start up a new game because third edition had just come out. We were all excited about it and it was gonna be a lot simpler. So third edition just simplified AD&D so much that it made it more accessible, just in the same way that fifth edition is now even more accessible to people. Right. Uh, third edition was that way too. So it sort of catapulted it back into relevancy. Um, so we were all into the third ed thing. We were like reading the book, everybody got a copy. And then we ended up playing every weekend, every day of every weekend, Friday night when we got off of work until Sunday night wow. when we all had to go home, we stayed the night over there and we did that for almost a full year, every weekend wow. for like, we would play until two, three in the morning we were just so invested. Like we got far into that story. So was, and it was uh, really was cool. the dungeon master just improving pretty much everything. Cause I like, how do you prep for a three day session? So the way I learned how to DM was from watching this guy. Yeah. He just came up with stuff. He had like the percolations of ideas and, you know, here and there. And then suddenly with the pressure of having to put together a game, he made it all come together and then just started pulling things out of thin air as people just started playing. And if that's how that was done, I'm like, well, I think I'm pretty good at making stuff up so I can do that too, right? <laughs> and I was really intimidated by it though. I would think that and then I would watch this guy and he was also an actor in high school. So he was into the drama stuff and he was very, very good at uh, projecting and being different characters and doing accents. And I was just totally enamored with that whole idea. But myself, I was nervous because that's putting on a show. Yeah. And stage fright is something that many of us have, oh, and perhaps some of us even more so. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, but um, but yeah, he he would just do it and make up stories as we went along. And I'm I figured out that's how you DM basically. You can prepare all you want, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. As soon as your players start to make decisions, everything you've prepared or most of the stuff yep. you've prepared will go out the window. So. Yep, exactly. Take take all those carefully prepared notes and and just throw them out the window. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then so that was third edition. Um, and then did you continue mm -hmm. to three point five, or did you move on to Pathfinder right yes. after that? No, uh, when three point five came out, not too long after that, I want to say it was like maybe a, a year or two. Um, so it it didn't take too long for three point five to come out, and then we just updated. Um, it wasn't too much of a big difference because most of everything was still the same. Um, and then, of course, Pathfinder just expanded on what already existed. Yeah. So you know the, how big the Pathfinder book is, the core rule book is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do, you, yeah. do you have a preference to the systems now? Um, I mean, 
I like the simplicity of oh, just overall. Fifth edition I, I like the simplicity of any game. So fifth edition would be my favorite right now just because it's easy to pick up you can kind of you follow the rules but you can sort of ignore them for the sake of story and it's okay yeah Yeah, it is pretty easy to adapt for sure and i know um i haven't played pathfinder first edition i did play 3.5 for a little bit and i don't remember much of how the rules impacted my life but i know just from like listening to podcasts and stuff like that and having conversation with people that first edition can be a little bit complicated. Um, there's a lot of number crunching and stuff that you have to do there. But with the second edition, because I am running a game with that, it does have a lot of that same numbers element to it, but not to the same extent. With Pathfinder, as opposed to Dungeons and Dragons, every time you level up, that gets added to your proficiency. For those who don't know, proficiency is something you add to a skill you're trained in, like swinging a sword, fighting, whatever it is. Dungeons and Dragons has a far less scaling proficiency system of every fourth level or whatever it is. Uh, Pathfinder is every level. So by the time you get to 20th level, your to hit is like sure. 32 or something stupid. It's ridiculous. Like, it's absurd. Yeah. You kind of become godlike yeah, absolutely. really quickly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they're similar games, but they're... Um, different systems in that way of how I think the PCs are meant to feel when you're playing it to an extent. Yeah. The games are are set up to be, um, I guess kind of treat the player characters a little bit differently in that way of like where Pathfinder, when you're a higher level, I mean, in D and D you feel pretty godlike too, but I think that monsters and stuff probably scale a little bit closer to, uh, the player characters. Yeah, and again, it's really just on the DM's you know design. Yeah. They could make any monster as hard or as easy as they want it to. So I think the way that I might describe the difference between the two um, is that the system for Pathfinder I find to be better suited for those more logically oriented. Uh, definitely people who love numbers and who like distributing those numbers exactly how they want them to instead of the more abstract sort of play of uh, 5th edition D&D. You also play different uh, tabletop games, is that correct? I know you've talked to me at least about playing like Vampire the Masquerade. and. Oh, I... I didn't really like invest myself into learning those rules. I was invited once to a... <laughs> to a LARP of uh, Vampire the Masquerade one time. And uh, it was exciting to me because it it was a group of people I didn't know and everybody in character dressed up and everybody had a little pamphlet that gave them the information for their character. And I was just, oh, that's fun. That's kind of like a mystery, murder mystery dinner sort of thing. Okay. Yeah, so you just have to like, you're basically just acting at that point. Yeah, you're just acting, and that was always something that I had I had once been interested in. <laughs> so any opportunity, so long as it wasn't on stage, if I could just play with my friends, that was okay. It was easier for me to handle. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely in the same way. I mean, I've done, um, I've played music live before, and obviously, um, when it comes to like running the games and playing D and D, you know, I I try to get into accents and characters and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But for sure, I mean, especially like when I played live music like that was really scary like i remember the first time yeah. i um 
played a song that I wrote. I started, I was playing with a friend of mine and I made it through like the intro and then just started the song over. Thankfully I wrote it. Nobody oh. knew that I started the song Nobody over. Nobody knew any better. But he was like looking at me sideways <laughs> yeah. like, um, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know, just roll with me here. <laughs> right. Kind of freaking out. Yeah. So. so when you're on the spot, everything changes. Like for some reason, your synapses decide to fire in completely wrong directions. Yeah. And just, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, certain people are built for it for sure. But I think um, at least yeah. with, with uh, tabletop role playing games, like there's that element of um, just having, you know, the people around you um, that, mm-hmm. Maybe you don't know all of them, but you're there's a familiarity there. There's kind of a safe space. Sure, it's an intimate setting. Yeah, yeah, and I think that helps um, with that a lot because I know for me personally, like even when I first met you, like you came to my house with Bernardo and uh, we sat down yeah. and we, you know, we were making character sheets and stuff, and we just kind of did a quick thing yeah. together. Um, and and even in in that, it was still. I mean, you're still a new person to me, you know, at the time. So um, Mm -hmm. that was still kind of scary. And then we play with our first big group and it's like, okay, now there's, you know, these other three people and I don't know them and Mm -hmm. uh, just trying to like, hey guys, well, (laughs) uh, we're going to figure this out, Um, you know, and. But having the common ground that everybody is nerdy and everybody's interested, it's, it kind of already is the icebreaker. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, we're already admitting to our nerdiness. Let's just, you know. Wear it on our sleeves. We're all, yeah, we're all here to roll dice, so that's no, <laughs> nobody has to question or judge each other about that. That part's Pretty done. Much. Um, so you, before COVID, you were running a game. How long had that game been going on? Uh, that had been going on, I want to say, a little over a year. I want to say probably a year and a half okay. before we had to put it put it on hiatus yeah. yeah and that was uh um i guess to kind of explain like how that game was going and how it started that kind of stuff yeah it's funny too um i originally started the game uh i was living with a friend of mine who was letting me stay in their home while i was in transition in a life thing <laughs> uh so i was living with them and uh the her name is beck and uh she would tell me about how she tried D&D once and didn't have a really good experience because the, the beauty, and I guess also to the detriment of the game, is that if you have a DM that lets you do just about anything you want to and they let you, uh, it can get pretty chaotic very quickly if the, there's no DM to rein it in, you know? So she was in a game where two people were just going off basically doing whatever they wanted, not really, there was no really cohesive story, and so she didn't really have a good time. Uh, Apparently Bernardo had a similar experience where it was kind of just chaotic. The DM didn't really know how to keep it all together. And it was just let you do anything you want to do. And it ended up kind of falling apart. Um, So while I was living with her and she was telling me these stories, I'm like, well, I DM, I have this game that I've been working on for years and I just have to put it together. I'm going to show you how a good DM does it. (laughs) And I was determined to show her a good time in D&D, like how it could be when you have a set story and characters and preparation and a map and you have like handouts for people and all these little nuggets and everybody has their own information and it's a little bit more put together. 
um, instead of just roll up a character, we're going to do this thing and whatever happens, happens. It's a little bit more thought put into it and it can be a really interesting time and you get to share your story with people. So that's how that started. Um, and it turned out that it was a really great idea because everybody was coming every week. Uh, I had two people coming from the Albuquerque while I was living in Rio Rancho. They drove out to the game to come and play. So I must have been doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if they bothered, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so and Bernardo too. He was uh, he was coming to my games and and I was showing him too how a good game could be. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think it definitely makes a difference having you know somebody there that's gonna support the story, that cares about the story, that is willing to you know, let some things happen and, and kind of, you know, work with the players on other stuff and not just, sure. um, you know, go crazy. Um, I think myself right. personally, I think I might get a little bit guilty of just like, of just giving the players like fun items. Cause I'm like, I know I love items, sure. when it's, you know, when, when I'm playing. So. I have done the same thing. And I, I, I think I realized my mistake in doing that a few sessions after the handing out of items. <laughs> Yeah, But it actually made for interesting stories, so I kind of rolled with it. I had to put a few limitations on things when I noticed it was a little bit OP, but yeah, it works out. Yeah. It, you can work it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I definitely have been guilty of that. So far, it hasn't really come back to bite me, but I'm still kind of learning the balancing of encounters in Pathfinder, especially because it is so different, and I only have two players. so. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. like, well, they're, you know, third level. And, you know, do I make monsters a little bit, like, do I scale up to third or do I take it down? And so I've kind of messed with a little bit of both. And I mean, either they're doing a good job in combat or they're just being creative and avoiding mm -hmm. like a lot of very difficult combat. So it's been kind of interesting to, to figure out, but. Oh, I actually, I was just going to say, that's the other thing I liked about, um, well, you could play it that way, like set number of monsters, you get this much XP and you count your XP. Yeah. But I, I always prefer milestone yeah. uh, experience just because that that's focusing more on the beats of the story yeah. instead of you have this many monsters you have to kill before you get to the next level. Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of, so when I was running a D&D &D game, I was definitely doing milestone because I agree um, to that extent with the Pathfinder second edition games i'm doing xp but i'm also granting xp for how they do the story like how creative they are in combats how well oh, yeah, they take care sure. of the situation um so it's not just like yeah you know where you could go kill 12 boggards if you somehow manage sure. to get through that situation without killing any of them but still succeed in what you're trying to do you get you're rewarding a sum right. of experience yeah. like where maybe yeah. not the max for all all 15 of these creatures sure. but, you know um, still a considerable mm -hmm. amount for for doing what you did was pretty significant so and it's always at the dm's discretion too yeah so. absolutely so it makes it easy yeah definitely mm -hmm. um so yeah so have you started your game again now that uh we're kind of towards the tail end of things no um so we are i think we're still trying to figure out other schedules so while while our schedules are balancing out in real life stuff um we just 
we're keeping the hiatus in place until such a time when everything sort of balances out again. Because, you know, it's it's a lot to take a whole night out of your week for just doing something at somebody's house. Like, that's a commitment yeah. that a lot of people can't always do, yeah. including the DM themselves. No, absolutely. Yeah. Especially with the DMing, um, I would have an extra day that I would need for preparation alone. Yeah. Um, when I was running my game, it would be on Sunday nights, and Saturdays were devoted to the entire Saturday was just me on my bed with all of my books and my notes and a pen and my laptop, and I was researching and watching videos for inspiration and making maps or you know just looking up anything, writing things down. I have like probably a book's worth of notes oh, wow. just from like ideas and none of them match. Like I have this idea and I change it over next like month or something. And I change the name of this character and it's fine. They don't know that yeah. yet. It's just in my head. Right. But if you read my notes, it would not <laughs> make sense. <laughs> yeah. So you, you go pretty deep then in your prep. Um, that I think I would go pretty moderately compared to some other DMs. Yeah. Like some DMs do spend their entire week preparing before the session in the weekend and they they go much deeper than I I think I put like maybe a modicum of effort yeah, yeah. <laughs> into preparation comparatively anyway. Yeah. No, I think I'm I wouldn't say I'm similar. I definitely put a lot of prep time into building the maps if I know there's going to be an encounter um, and trying to plan around that aspect of it. Or if like we're going to a new town. I do really enjoy map making. That's probably the thing that distracts me the most while I'm doing it. And I just tell myself I'm being productive, but actually I'm just dicking around with a map maker because it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's very fun to do the maps. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I definitely spend a considerable amount of time doing that portion of it. Um, and then the mm-hmm. rest of it for my prep, I usually will just try to get like, these are, you know, a few significant characters you might meet. And then have mm-hmm. like an idea of, um, you know, what's going to happen or um, what these people might say. I'll definitely write down like character voices. So mm-hmm. um, especially when it gets to like. I should do that. <laughs> I don't do that enough. I really should. Yeah. That part. I, I try to make something up and I'm not clever enough to come up with something original. <laughs> yeah. It's it's tough. And then, I mean, you know, then the first thing that comes out of your mouth is like, well, I guess we're sticking with that. You try like to sneak in a little change here just to try something out and then you realize it's a bad idea and you hope nobody noticed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I have a hard time with like accent bleed. Um, oh you know, yeah. Like, if I'm doing like an Australian accent then sometimes that bleeds to like a Cockney accent oh. or vice versa. Um no, yes. Irish and yep. Scottish, I mean, if you're not practicing in front of a mirror all the time for like at least an hour every day with a coach, like a recording of it, and you know, you got to dedicate a lot of time to, to practicing that sort of thing. I, I admire people who can do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh it's pretty tough. I I just try to have fun with it, and if I mess up, then oh, I'm like sure. ah whatever. But um, yeah, you know, I'll watch a I'll watch a video on YouTube about you know how to do specifically this kind of accent, and then just go like oh wow. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I growing up, I've always been uh, a mimic, and so I have oh. a hard time if I'm talking to somebody not mimicking the way that they talk, whether it's their accent or their speech pattern or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, 
same. And I, I'm, yep, when I'm conscious so. of it, I'll like notice like you spoke in six different ways today with, <laughs> with six different people. And, and, and you right. know, I'm not even, usually I'm not even conscious of doing it. It just happens. And then every once in a while, I'm like, did right. I say that that way? That's so. I know. <laughs> and I swear I don't have multiple personalities, but sometimes <laughs> I feel like it's sort of like that because I've got like my, my formal princessy personality. But I noticed that when I'm working at the video game store that I work mm-hmm. in, uh, I'm saying bro a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's environment. Like all day yeah, long. yeah, all day long. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's one hundred percent environment and how that, uh, how that gets to you. Um, I think there's a term for it. Uh, there's a YouTube channel. It's like I think it's yeah. how to be a great DM, and he was talking about it, and he, I think he called it echolalia. Mm. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Just to repeat yeah. things as they and, say yeah, them. And, yeah, and the kids do it, but most children yeah. grow out of it, and some of us adults still do it. And a- <laughs> Apparently, it's something very common among people with ADHD. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I, I respond with the thing that somebody just said. Yeah. Like, I'll just repeat it for no reason or as if to continue the conversation. Like, I heard you, see? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I have a bad habit of, like, just saying words out loud as I'm walking. Because I'll like be <laughs> either practicing an accent in my head or, you know, practicing yeah. like, dang, the way that so-and-so said this thing. <laughs> and then I'll just like be quietly thinking that and then it'll just come out. And I'm like, did anybody see me? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I I do that too. And I always try to make sure that nobody was around me to hear me because it's I do it all the time. I'm just talking to myself all the time. And I do notice lately that I forget that I'm in company. And so, cause I was working at home by myself the whole time during the pandemic and working at this job, I'm around people. And suddenly I'm like, just talking under my breath, like I'm used to. And like, somebody is asking me, what'd you say? And I'm like, Oh, no, no, just, I'm just talking to myself. And I'm saying that like five times a day. Yeah. <laughs> like, just it's ignore me. Way. I'm just, I'm just giving myself a pep talk that I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I can see that. I mean, I know, I know. And, and the truth is, it's just like, to me, I, I think it helps in some ways, obviously it doesn't help you make new friends when you're being weird around strangers, but whatever, I'm an introvert too, like you are. So <laughs> depends though, because when there are certain uh, kind of people that are attracted to that sort of yeah, thing. True. So if you're within that sort of circle, then people just recognize it. Oh, you are my people. I understand this. Every, everybody that works in the store has ADHD. So they all do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I yeah. think I think um, mine definitely came from being younger and wanting to make people comfortable because I've said this before when I was talking to Miguel on the podcast, but like I really wanted to have friends when I was a kid. And like you, like I grew mm. up, I loved fantasy fiction. Like my grandmother and my mom, that's all they ever sent me was like Anne McCaffrey books and um, just a bunch of stuff like dragons, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. I could get my hands on. And then I, Narnia. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then I just continued to, you know, read more. And anytime I got like gift cards for Borders or Barnes and Noble, I would just go and just definitely judge books by their cover. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. We're all guilty 100%. of it. But I find some really interesting books that yeah. way. Some not so great, yeah. but <laughs> you never yeah. know. And, uh, but yeah, so um, I was very much consumed by that stuff. Um, and 
as a factor, I'm sure, uh, and probably to some other things, I just was kind of a weird kid, um, which doesn't matter as much when you're like elementary school, but when you start to get into middle school and mm-hmm. uh, high school, then people have these expectations of <laughs> of how cool kids, quote unquote, should be. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think I definitely just wanted to fit in sometimes, um, not all the time, mm-hmm. but I definitely sometimes wanted to fit in and that probably played a factor into how I adjusted to people talking I think just to Mm. make them comfortable like oh okay like he sounds like me like um oh sure yeah I can definitely see that I I feel that too um because I was I was also like the weirdo I think my weirdness presented probably sometime in third grade yeah um, when I noticed that everybody else was getting their computer lab cards because it was randomly assigned and I wasn't. And I'm like, but I'm the computer girl. Yeah. I need this card. And so eventually I would just like get everybody else's computer cards so I could hide in the computer lab and just play computer games during lunch hour. Um, that was me in third grade and it did not stop. Yeah. <laughs> and it was all because I would rather be by myself with something else stimulating me than my peers. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like there was a mixture of I had given up on trying to assimilate to if I'm forced to, I guess I might as well just try to be like them. Yeah. Um, so it's a really strange balance that I've been kind of dealing with. So the D&D thing actually helps a lot with the confidence thing and just having friends that are like you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it, you know, it does kind of become a thing of like, I'll just go where people aren't kicking me out actively and mm-hmm. figuring out that space. But I think I always felt very much like a misfit and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of unsure of of uh, of where I fit into those spaces and then not knowing mm-hmm. like, and, you know, and, and then kind of figuring out like, okay, you know, all these groups are different and they like me for different reasons. And so it's like, you know, with this <laughs> group, I'll talk about sports and with this group, I'll talk about video games right. and, you know, and this group <laughs> will talk about science. Um and right. so you just kind of, or at least for myself, like I definitely just kind of uh, almost played a part for a very long time. And then as I got older, then it was like, yeah, you know, why do I need 80,000 friends? Why do I need to have all of these people kind of like me? You know, why can't I just, and I'm not enjoying most of it anyway. So I'm going to just right. be happy, but it does take some self-discovery to, to really it sure does you yeah you sort of have to start to feel comfortable in your own skin in order to get to that level and I did not feel that way at all until probably around when I turned 30 like for all that time before I don't know who I was I just kind of I was surprised when I found out that not everyone spoke Spanish as well as English (laughs) Like I, w- I grew up in a very strange environment where I didn't know where I belonged either. And home seemed the only thing that I understood. Yeah. Um, so being by myself was always the best escape for me. And I, that's where books came in. That's where video games came in. Anything where I did not have to deal with people unless they were on my level of weirdness. Yeah. And that was very rare yeah. to find. <laughs> were you an only child then? No, um, I have a younger sister and I have an older half sister who came to live with us um, kind of in the middle of my teenage years. So it's yeah, that was an interesting situation. But after that, it was four, four of us, all female living at home. Yeah. Very Latin, (laughs) 
nobody you know we didn't speak english at home we spoke spanish uh and we ate weird food so (laughs) sounds awesome (laughs) it was pretty cool (laughs) i know i mean now so i i never grew up speaking spanish obviously i grew up around a lot of spanish-speaking people but i'm just in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. that i grew up in but now my mom is fluent in spanish and you know she, she learned it to speak to her now husband but um yeah in her late thirties, I guess is when she started learning it. Oh. Um, wow, good yeah. for her. Yeah. So, um, it's pretty crazy. I, I definitely, uh, think that would be a task and a half to try to learn right now, but, uh, <laughs> it is a little harder later in life, yeah. but it can be done. My dad did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe one day I'll give it a shot. And I, I, I mean, I went, you know, when <laughs> I was in high school, I took French classes and I did like oh. six years of French. So, um, I could do okay. How'd that work yeah. out? <laughs> I mean, if I ever go to Montreal, I'll be semi all right. There you go. But outside of that, I don't think I don't think it's going to help me very much. But uh, in New Mexico, yeah, no, no certainly not. Um, yeah, I think so. For me, uh, I feel in a lot of ways that at least up to a certain degree, I got pretty comfortable in my skin earlier on, and I think that mm-hmm. has to do with the fact that I met my wife. Well, I met her in high school, oh. but we started dating when we were 21 and we've been together ever mm. since. So I think there was a certain point where I was just like, well, you know, once we got married and everything, it's just like, okay, I don't have to like worry about that aspect of my life anymore. Um, mm-hmm. she, I know she loves me. She, her and I have different hobbies and, and different uh, things that we enjoy. So in a lot of ways, she's still, uh, you know, I'm still a nerd to her, but she's like, well, I mean you still look like you, so it's okay. <laughs> like I'm still, I'm still attracted to you, so it's all right. Um, <laughs> that works yeah, out. But, um, but you know, and she, like, she's never been into this kind of stuff. Every once in a while, she'll go watch a superhero movie with me or something like that. But, you know, for the most part, that's just not her thing. And that's fine. We, you know, we have different interests, but I think mm. knowing that, you know, she was still going to love me and, and then it kind of gave me, I think the freedom to start to love myself and figure out exactly what that was going to mm. mean. And, and go from there. Do you think yeah. um, any of that or any of your life experience has ever bled through some of the characters you made or um, maybe some of oh, the Oh, I, I would say absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it would, I would be hard pressed to think of a, an example right now, but I, I could say definitively yes. Yeah. What kind of characters do you like to play? So in early on when I was a little less mature uh of course my my go-to was always the um the shunned or awkward uh magic user um always an elf and uh always rather um naive and innocent and it was it was always just very kind of two-dimensional Uh, just in that princessy sort of way, because that's always how I liked to pretend and imagine myself. And then as I grew older, I, I started experimenting with different types of personalities, just as I started getting more aware of the world and how it could be mm-hmm. in all its variants. Uh, so I'd started playing conniving characters and really silly characters that almost had no purpose. And uh, even... Uh, hulking characters that really only enjoyed fighting or yeah, just experimenting with a little bit more than, you know, the little Disney princess yeah. uh, trope that I had. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
do you feel like you do a good job of, you know, creating diverse characters when you're creating NPCs for your players as well? I think I do a better job when it's the NPCs because there's less of a commitment behind Mm. it. Um, Since they're only meeting the NPC for a brief amount of time. So you can really like play with it uh, and go kind of crazy. So (laughs) one of my favorites is, uh, and it's, it's funny because it was a last minute decision as it happened. It was the Enchanter Weaponsmith. It was uh, one shop. And it, uh, the weaponsmith, blacksmith, was outside, uh, and they wanted to get something enchanted. Well, uh, they asked this very lithe and handsome elf chap uh, where to get such a thing done. And he says, oh, hang on a minute, and goes inside and uh, takes off his apron, puts on a shirt, goes behind the counter, and then changes his personality. <laughs> nice. So... And it was all because uh, of some little thing. Like, I got annoyed, I think. Like, they they had asked the NPC the question and and just go inside. And so they go inside, and the first thing one of my players says, without asking me what the inside of this place looked like, or even if someone was in there, uh, they just start saying, shopkeep, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, hang on a minute. Did I say there was someone behind the counter? You're addressing thin air. It was just because that little annoyance. I'm like, no, no, there's nobody there yet. (laughs) We're going to twist this up and I'm going to make this guy have a multiple personality. And the other personality is just going to be so delightfully, flamboyantly gay. Nice. And it it worked perfectly. It made everyone laugh. I, I just loved the reaction that I got. And it was just one of those last minute things <laughs> that turned out was fun. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, in one of our D and D games, I made a, a town and it was, uh, it was pretty small, like village almost, but there, there was only two taverns and the one where they entered was very like, uh, it was ran by this elderly gnome and she had a, uh, a big hulking bodyguard there. And it was very quiet, like not a lot of people. And they go in and you have this dwarf covered in spiky armor and he, you know, he wants a drink and he's slamming his beer on the table and she kicked him out. And they almost fought like the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the guardsmen. They were like, gonna, and I'm like, okay, if that's what you're going to do. And they're like, oh no, we'll, oh, we'll move no. on, we'll move on. And she's like, take that, <laughs> take it down to the other side of town. Like we don't do that here. And then on the other side of town was this old um, orc who um, was fine with gruff and tough. And he, uh, he, the dwarf ended up buying a barrel of beer for him to basically swim in um, and drink himself into a stupor. And, and he absolutely allowed it and let him just slosh all over the floor. (laughs) So, (laughs) but it was just fun just like watching them. Cause I think they just expected like, Oh, well it's a tavern. We can do whatever we want. And it's like, yeah, no, you will be no, clean. You, can't. <laughs> you will act right. <laughs> Gran is not going to take this. There are consequences. Yes, there are consequences. <laughs> yeah, it's fun when you have to throw that in sometimes. Well, with the group that I was uh, running the game for, everybody was new, so uh, everybody was just learning as we went, mm. and so I did things like that 
kind of frequently just to as a teaching moment, but also just to twist it up and, and make them aware of the fact that they can't just do anything without consequences. Yeah. So, oh, you think that's so clever, whatever it is that you did. Well, here's here's the back end of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I think, uh, I mean, and it's definitely... You definitely have to have that in there. I think there's are certain times, like even in my Pathfinder game, um, they're kind of fighting against this um, invading, uh, not necessarily an invading country, but there's a country that used to have a colony in the area they're playing. Um, they got there's a revolution that got kicked out, and now twenty plus years later, they're kind of working their way back into it, and they're trying to figure out why are they here, how did this happen. Um, and every encounter they've had has been violent to the point of these invaders dying. Um, and so in the most recent game that, or one of the most recent games we played, um, after, you know, they killed them, everything, I mean, and these murder hobos sometimes is how they're called in, in these games. Um, and they're really uh-huh. not, they're, they're pretty good, but, um, you know, they, oh, they, okay. but they do check the bodies, right. And that's as you are want to do when you, um, mm-hmm. kill a, character in a tabletop rpg and oh, one sure. of the things they found, can't miss an opportunity oh, yeah. to find something <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the items they found on this sorcerer um a letter from this sorcerer's daughter in his pocket and like why why would you put that in there i'm like well because they're people too you know like uh yes <laughs> right. um you know this situation obviously they weren't really negotiating with them they tried to have conversations and usually somebody on bad people side will say, um, you know, we're shooting first and not willing to have conversations, but there's still a lot of stuff that's grounded in the fact that they're, I say human, but you know, uh, people. So I think it's, it's definitely one of those lessons and not even necessarily lessons, but just fun things to kind of explore because it is very easy in those games to just go the route of, you know, unbridled violence and, Oh, sure. Going into hack and slash and just, you know, no direction really whatsoever, which is fine. There are there's always a place for games like that. If you just want to swing a sword and have a little fun, not really care about solving puzzles and mysteries and doing all that stuff. Um, But it's my preferred kind of game is one that has in-depth narrative and um you actually touched on something too where you mentioned why would you put that letter in there well they're people too and it's one of the things i love to write in is villains that are people that they're doing the things that they do because they believe that that is right and how do you know you're not the bad guys and just twisting it around a little bit or lots of gray area and making it a little bit more real. It's not just so black and white. He wants to rule the world or destroy the world or no, there's something else happening that's motivating them for the benefit of their side, because that's how they see it. It's the same as the polarizing environment we live in in reality, Absolutely, you know? Everyone thinks they're on the right side for their reasons, and you know you're not going to convince right. them otherwise. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, in, in most cases you really won't, and especially when you're talking about, um, you know, because these games typically use a lot of different created religions, and so there's you know these multitude of deities and you know alignments of 
you know, whether you're good or bad or somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And some of these countries, depending on how the world's built, in this instance, I'm using the world that Paizo built for Pathfinder, which is Galarian. But um, in some of these countries, it's just like, well, the ruling people here believe in this. And sometimes that's evil. But the people that are in that country mm-hmm. are just a lot of them are just trying to survive. Like if you're not part of the politics mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the upper class, it's just like, you know, I sure. farm my potatoes and I, you know. Yeah. I mean, eventually it and... all comes down to the powerless versus yeah. the powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it's fun things to explore. It's definitely, it's you know, it's a lot more work on the DM side, but I think it's fun to tell those stories. I think it's, it helps oh, yeah. improve the game a lot. But, I think so. But yeah, it is nice to, you know, turn off your brain and just, well, I, I see dragon. <laughs> just do something dragon mindless. Fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Where are the yeah. Cheetos? <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, but I mean, it, and it's been really cool because, um, you know, like I said, with the balance of just having the two players, they've figured out a lot of different ways to, you know, to circumvent big encounters and to me i'm like well you guys have never really been in like danger they're like "Ah, i mean they've gotten close they've so far um nobody's even become unconscious at this point um they've gotten pretty low in in hit points but Mm. pathfinder 2e gives you a lot of hit points even pretty early on like you don't roll for it anymore in most games D D, and i think first edition pathfinder you roll based on your class a certain um die whether it's a d8 or a d6 or a d10 um for however many hit points you have in pathfinder 2e it's just like your class is fighter you get 12 hit points every time you level up plus your constitution oh. so so you just get like a full basic, stack yeah, of hit yeah, points you always max out you, okay yeah. yeah well you do have the option to to run the game that way too for D fifth ed like you can choose to do the roll die and all that stuff or you could just take like the full hit yeah. die edition yeah or i think even on D beyond they have like the average or that whatever could be a yeah. house rule uh-huh. and i yeah. mean it, you know and i just kind of especially with the second edition there's so many rules and just trying to figure it out like even when it came to creating a character <laughs> yeah. i just i have a bad habit of skipping around when i read also like i'm like i, oh, I got yeah. the gist and yeah. i'll move on um but with this yes with exactly the book, you can't <laughs> <laughs> with the rule book you can't really say i got the gist and move on like you have to go back and be like wait how do i not have as many hit points as i think i should or you know why don't i have as many skills <laughs> like none of this makes any sense um and so right uh you know when you're using an app it makes it a lot easier because they the app doesn't typically forget mm-hmm. things um but when you're just doing it on regular pen and paper it's good to kind of go through each and every step and read those things out or at least sit with somebody experienced who can right help you get through that part of it yeah i i gotta admit i'm not too familiar with 2e uh yeah, pathfinder yeah. So, i think um you know it's funny because we've played D together but you and i have never been a part of either one's game so that's a, a tragedy we need to fix right <laughs> perhaps we yeah. will soon you know i definitely enjoy i you know i think it would be fun to have your perspective and you know the characters that i've seen you play have always been you know fun and quirky and my character still sure. owes your character some some new boots but <laughs> oh, <that's right. laughs> yes yeah. you do um 
but yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that, that can go into it. Are there any other, um, tabletop RPGs that you haven't played yet that you really want to try? Um, yeah, I think we want to try cyberpunk. I need to read into it a little bit more because that has its own plethora of complexities mm-hmm. that I'm not sure I have the capacity in my mind to wrap around yet. Yeah. But uh, that was one of them. I have like I have a whole shelf, a couple shelves, three shelves, probably three shelves full of um, game books over there. Yeah. And uh, one of them is called um, Blue Rose. Okay. Which is based on or inspired by uh, the romantic fantasy novels of the late 80s and 90s, like the Mercedes Lackey uh, books, and I can't name any others right now, but it's more of a dramatic sort of game, so a lot more of the role-playing as opposed to the dice rolling. Um, I still have to kind of look into that and see how it could work. And, uh, yeah, and then there was that diceless one that we just got, that Bernardo just got. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Amber Chronicles, which was the, uh, it's an 80s fantasy series, the Amber Chronicles. Mm. Uh, actually, no, 80s. It's actually 70s? So 70s fiction, fantasy fiction, um, <clears throat> based on that. And diceless doesn't make too much sense other than just i guess it's uh just drama club now yeah yeah, basically it's just hang out and like we're saying just literally or it could it could be more you know it it could actually be more in the vein of what uh what we did with vampire the masquerade because there were there was a mechanism in which to succeed or fail in an interaction uh and we didn't use dice because obviously if it was larping there was no place to do that so i think that might have been akin to that do you remember like what that mechanism was that like how did that work because i can't imagine it can't be like based Um, on who plays the best can't I think we had something like tickets or, or just we, we only had like a, a certain number of them so that uh, we could cast a spell and use that one time uh, or something like that. And it was instantly used and uh, there would be sort of like a referee. <laughs> the DM basically yeah. would be coming around checking on everybody and getting updates on what was going on within conversations. So huh. it was something something akin to that. Yeah, I don't um I don't know if I could do that. Like I, I look at um things like Critical Role <laughs> and even uh the guys from the Glass Cannon podcast. Um, but especially with Critical Role because they're all mm-hmm. like, you know, voice actors and they get so into it. And their role play is usually oh, really yeah. amazing. Uh, they cry well, all the time. <laughs> like, God, like, it's yeah, super there's some really intense yeah. emotional moments. Yeah. Uh Liam O'Brien, especially, oh, he's, he's he's really good. Yeah. Uh, he's just a good actor, yeah, I think. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, he's he definitely my across. favorite. Yeah, but yeah, so I mean, to that extent, uh, like you get inspired by that stuff, and and for me personally, I I never oh, sure. was an actor or was in drama or anything like that. So uh, everything I do when it comes to these games is just you know whatever I've got in the tank. But yeah, I think uh, I'd love to be able to achieve those kind of. Uh, dramatic moments. I just don't know if I'll ever uh, be able to pull it off um, to any level that it's, I'll feel successful. You gotta get really comfortable with yourself 
Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And, and that's, it's hard to do. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, as long as everybody's having fun, that's what I just try to make sure, oh, at yeah. least, you know, keep it, keep it light for the most part and, you know, keep everybody enjoying it and <laughs> struggling and trying to figure out like, okay, what's the, the cliffhanger going to be? And did you, right. how long were you guys' sessions when you were running your game still? This most recent one? say about two and a half to three hours okay pretty much every time yeah did you always try to find like a narrative point to stop or did you was just kind of like we're out of uh yeah i did try to at least find a comfortable place where it made sense to stop there yeah yeah sometimes a lot of times i usually will try to do something like that and sometimes it's just like well you guys uh did something i was completely not prepared for and uh, it's been two and a half hours so (laughs) so i'll spend the next the rest of the week building a map and we'll get back to this (laughs) but and see where we go (laughs) because i don't even know Yeah, our second to uh, last session that we played, though, I was able to end it on a cliffhanger because they were trying to figure out this puzzle. Um, and they did something and and they heard noise. So that's kind of where we're like, well, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good place to do it. Yeah. I'd say that's a good place. Yeah. So, but then we're, you know, adults with responsibilities and we didn't get together the next week and we had to skip a week. So right. the tension builds, <laughs> but <laughs> we, were, we were able to, to close out that part of it. So it's a lot of fun, though. Uh, it, it is yeah well i think i i've probably taken up enough of your time um is there anything else you wanted to cover or wanted to ask oh me? this has been fun uh no oh one last thing i just thought of this is uh an example of a diceless game uh the only time i ever saw this was in the stream of many eyes when they were first introducing i think the very first uh adventure module for fifth edition okay i think it was a a few years ago there is a portion of that entire special and it's broken up into segments i think it's four different parts and it's uh, all the players are in costume Hmm. and the dm is uh just watching like the referee and they each have tokens uh to do certain actions and things so that was how i i remember that was one way that they did diceless gaming yeah that's weird. It was fun to watch too. Yeah, they were all in costume. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look into that and see how that works. Um, oh, they built the set. It was all on a set, so it was like a it was set up like a stage, and everyone was in costume, and there was the bartender and the background actors and everything. It was fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out because I I still like it's still hard for me to wrap my my brain around. And plus, I just you know I like dice. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like. I buy all these things for the dice. Uh, I buy who more doesn't dice. like dice? We all have yeah. our inner dragon. Yeah. So we got to just keep on <laughs> figuring out ways to – more excuses to roll Warning them. those dice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yep. I know. I cannot <laughs> wait until my kids are old enough to start doing it. Even like basic. I'm just – I'm so excited for that it'll, for that day to happen. It'll happen before you know it, I'm sure. Yeah. We were, uh, we were sitting down on the trampoline. So my oldest is three. And I just started telling them a story because uh-huh. it was like me to read. But I think honestly, like they don't pay attention to mm-hmm. the book. They're just listening to the way I'm saying the words. And so I started telling sure. like some yeah. random fantasy story about two princesses and a prince doing stuff oh, and trying cute. to fight a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I think that'll be the one thing is like, okay, so nobody dies because I don't think we should do that. But like, maybe they'll just turn into glitter or something like I mean, extinguished <laughs> into smoke, some kind or of... Or they, they resurrect in another point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. You just get transported. Just automatic yeah. resurrection. <laughs> yeah. That'll work. I like that. And just keep it, <laughs> keep it from becoming too too crazy. For the kids, you know? Yeah. Gotta make the kids keep it version. easy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Don't break their innocence too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's just so exciting. But I keep trying yeah. to get them to watch, like, TV shows, like... I put on Shira, the new Shira for them, and they still aren't interested. Oh yet, yeah, so not quite <sighs> I just yet. Gotta yeah, keep testing them till they like. Oh, that's cool. Like, yes, Jedi's are mm-hmm. cool. Keep watching this. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for letting me take up your time and and talking about games with me. This has been a lot of fun. Well, sure. This is a lot of fun. I, it was my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 